Hello and welcome to another episode of the Selling Sessions. In this episode, episode 25, we speak to Scott Schwartz, a partner of corporate and finance at Manat Phelps and Phillips LLP, a US-based legal firm with 11 offices spread across the states. Scott joins us from their Washington DC office and we cover a lot of topics, including how to find an advisor that best suits your personality and understands how you want to do the deal and what you want to get out of it. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Paul and Fraser. It's it's really a pleasure to be joining you on your podcast and uh, be talking across the pond, so to speak. Um, Manat is uh, a U.S.-based law firm. Um, we were founded and are headquartered in Los Angeles, California, and we've grown and have very strong uh built up offices in uh, other US cities, Washington DC, which is the office that I lead, uh, Boston, New York, San Francisco, and Chicago are their um, main offices. Um, we have some offices in smaller cities in the US as well that are close to um, capitals of larger states. So we have an Albany office that works on New York uh, regulatory and state uh, um, admin issues and then we have one in Sacramento which is of course the capital of California. Um, we are um, a, a full service US law firm and we do not have um, offices or um, abroad. Um, we partner with other firms like firms in the UK and in you know Western Europe and all over the world uh, to work on international transactions which we do in uh, bountiful amounts. Um, we love um, mixing and combining our knowledge and strategy with um, with our uh, professional colleagues overseas to put together the best package for our clients. And we are really strong in international tax issues and structuring issues and offshore so that we can still fully service our clients here in the US. Um, so we are strong in many areas. Um, healthcare is one of our very strongest areas. In addition to uh, our legal practice, we have Manat Health Solutions, which is a, a full service consulting firm that can help our clients with strategic and with um, business problem solving issues um, that really complement our legal uh, firm as well. And we also have consulting groups that focus on digital and media technology and, of course, uh, government, government lobbying. So we do a lot of different um, types of work. Uh, we have a very strong litigation practice that focuses on um, TCPA, uh, uh, you know, RESPA, which is a real estate uh, focused law here in the U.S. Um, we, we, we are very strong in white collar defense, environmental, uh, class action defense, and of course, healthcare litigation. Uh, so, and on the corporate transactional side, um, we are, uh, we, 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 we have an emerging company practice. We represent smaller startups that are growing, and I do a lot of the ECVC work with the venture funds and the private equity funds, uh, helping companies get that outside corporate counsel need and grow and um you know get financed we do a lot of commercial and bank transactional work and we of course do full service m a i'm probably one of the most active m a partners in the firm i sit in our cross industry 
group. So I work with companies in a variety of different interest industries, including, you know, consumer product, manufacturing, healthcare, biotech, digital media. <laughs> We're going to bank merger. So it, the, it seems to be endless for me, but we'll talk probably more about that during the podcast. And we just last thing is we, we, we serve as public companies as well. We can help take companies public and help them operate in the, in the public markets in the U.S. I think that's um, quite clear that there's a there's a huge range there um, of of different uh, aspects to to M and A in particular, which is of course uh, one of the one of the key areas of the podcast that we've got here. And I guess that leads us leads us on to relationships. You know uh, why they're so important to deal success, particularly. Obviously, you've got quite a lot of um, experience over an array of different um, uh, types of industry. You know, so so are relationships uh, still key in absolutely all of these these areas as well. Relationships are key, and for me, you know, we have a firm of over 450 professionals. So I focus on internal and external relationships uh, because um, we always have uh, people within the firm who are who have clients who have varying legal needs and so if someone who focuses on let's say like environmental law as someone who has a client that is going to be doing a corporate transaction that that's a great uh, way to generate deal flow but um, equally as importantly um, staying loyal and um, staying in good touch with uh, our clients and our corporate practices clients and their other advisors, frankly, their their financial advisors, their accounting firms, you know, their um, you know, their their consulting firms is really a good way to keep kind of the um, you know ecosystem uh, strong and to help grow it. And the, and because you know, in an M and A, you know, sell side M and A, that that doesn't happen, you know. Uh, you know, year after year for a, for a founder who sells a company, that's like a milestone event, right? So, yeah. but we, we stay in contact with those founders, of course, and, and, um, and of course, on the buy side and on the equity fund side, um, we do, you know, a lot of different transactions. And another thing we do is we represent kind of larger companies that, that acquire uh, companies to, to build out, whether those companies are headquartered in, in Europe or in the U.S., um, you know, those companies are are in pretty close contact with us quite often. So it's always nice when when our your client checks in with you versus you going and saying, hi, like, uh, what are you working on? They're like focusing on some other thing. And it's, you know, you want to think about M&A. So, so we like to just kind of have, continue a natural kind of organic, um, you know, advisory dialogue and help them with their, you know, their equity plans, their employment issues, things that, um, you know, COVID response, things that, um, stay um, kind of at their forefront of their minds all the time yeah for for us as well you know it's it, relationships are absolutely key and you know we, we try and stress that in every and every podcast essentially you know the, there's no getting away from it you know is m a is very much a, a people oriented um type of of, of um, business and of course um you know our very own fraser kirk um you know you have you'll have your views on on relationships as well it's interesting to hear that you know it's exactly the same across the pond yeah, it is. And I think, I think you know, we've been doing this podcast for a while now and it is the recurring theme that comes up that um, certainly every advisor we speak to says the same thing and that it's really important. I think I would like to push that a bit further and, and Scott, it'd be good to get, you know, obviously don't speak about specifics here, but it'd be great to, to hear any stories of where it went a bit wrong, perhaps. Not wrong, but 
where the relationship part was tough um, and actually how how you managed to get back from that. Because I think with all great intention, we, we all go into these things, buy and sell side, wanting to have a good relationship. But at some point, negotiations often do become quite fraught. Um, and actually, there, there's quite a strain put on relationships. How do... You know, or do you ever act as a kind of mediator in that? Or, you know, are you very much hands off? Look, you know, you need to sort this out between between yourselves. That's a great question and probably kind of complicated to answer. But but the truth is, is one a little bit depends on the issue, right? If the issue is, you know, what should the name of the company be after we ship? That's not one that I'm going to say. No. Like, no. <laughs> like, let me jump in on that. If the issue is more legal focused, like what is market here or what is, you know, what is the law or, um, you know, are we being taken advantage of? Um, then I do jump in because I think that's why what my clients want and that's why they picked me. Um, and that can be difficult because um, off, you know, not often, but occasionally I'll feel very strongly about a position and maybe the client will want to go a different direction. Maybe it's a very unadvisable direction. Um, and that can be one of the most difficult um, spots to navigate. Um, mainly for me, just because I'm an emotional person and I don't like seeing my client do things that I don't think are a good idea. But I think over the years I've gotten practice and as long as I've kind of, I, I don't, I'm not mouse-ish about it. Like I, 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 as long as I come across clearly and I document the position and make my strong recommendation, um, you know, I, I do accept that I'm really an advisor and I am not the one who's paying the money for the business. And so I need to defer to um, clients that may have bigger risk appetite or might have a different view or a different experience or who knows, or just think, well, Manette has good litigators. If this goes wrong, we use them. <laughs> like, I never want to think about that. But, um, but even when you have something agreed, it doesn't mean there won't be a breach and there won't be things going wrong. And um, and another tricky area there to navigate, Frazier, is, is when it's kind of more than one view. Like it's like the client, one part of the client disagrees, but may, you know, maybe the founder, but then the board takes a different view that maybe is more aligned. And then it can become really complicated because oftentimes your client is actually a company, with not, not a person. And so, uh, you know, that can be tricky because you it looks like you're kind of taking sides or playing favorites. That can be even more complicated. Yes, ultimately, you know, I'll take your, you know, your point of view if you agree with this. I don't think you can one hundred percent de-risk M and A, and you know that's, you know, there's a lot of things in there. There's, you know, merging of cultures. There's, there's obviously, you know, legal issues there, transfer of contracts, etc. And there's a lot of areas where there could perhaps be a problem um, or an issue arise. And ultimately, someone, i.e., the you know the the owners of the business, um, has to take a view on that. And and like you say, you know that's not your view. That your your role is to advise, to give them the best and strongest advice possible. Um, and ultimately, they need to make a decision. And and we've personally felt um, struggles with that where a business owner has difficulties making the, the decision on it they almost want their advisors to make the decision yeah. um, because it's a, a hands-off well you told me to do it um, yeah. and that really slows down 
negotiations sometimes where we find that the we as the buyer find sometimes the seller um, struggles a bit with the emotional side of selling their business. They can't quite bring themselves to make a decision. And that's that puts certainly puts advisors in a tough spot um, where they where they maybe need to give stronger advice than they would necessarily normally do. Yeah. And when you're compressing time frame too, that can be height that can heighten that emotion because yeah. something I like is to kind of you got to just get a feel for it, but I want to make sure my client is comfortable with the with the risk level, the deal terms, the the person they're going to be getting into business with or the company. And and sometimes I think that if there's more of a chance to let, you know, issues bubble up and discuss them versus rush through them, it make it make it can be better and healthier for both sides and be a little less emotive. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, sometimes the selling client is just emotional about things that you don't even need to be emotional about you know like, yeah. you know like I, I, I want my desk chair you know yeah. <laughs> the chair. it's happened before this painting and all is you know I, that's not the company so that's you know the, it is I, I totally agree scott you know it, it, so, sometimes when you see uh, someone in, on the other side or what have you acting in bad faith and and you see that in the in, you know in the black and white when it comes through uh, on the contracts and and of course it, it is it's very difficult not to get involved in that and say right you know they they're clearly acting in in a way that's not appropriate here you know we, we really need to tighten that up um, from our side but you're absolutely right as well on the other side you know when you're you've got a commercially aware advisor who's who's there to to help guide you through that process that relationship can be absolutely critical to make you know the difference between you know a, a deal getting done and a deal not getting done and finding those appropriate solutions as well and um, so that that yeah. sorry i was just, just going to say, say that yeah i mean because you know you're right about that paul and and i often do tell myself you know like not everyone is a perfect fit for everyone else you know there are different lawyers of different styles and um and you know i'd rather you know i i don't know if if I, if a client thinks gosh i really want you know a woman to represent me or i really want um you know someone who is, you know I don't know, has more gray hair, has less gray hair, has like, you know, works only at night. I mean, there's so many crazy combinations that I don't expect everyone to love me. I try to do the best I can. And I hope that I think that leads to more clients being happy and maybe picking me again. But but I don't really feel upset if they say, you know, we're picking someone different because I, you know, the, 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 no two people are exactly the same and, and, and you can't please everyone on earth. So I think if I let got hung up on that every time, you know, I'd spend a lot of time being bummed out. I don't know how you guys feel like <laughs> United Capital, if you get every single deal you, you know, you want, but you know, it's just, yeah. it's just, I give myself credit for trying and then, and then I, you know, it leads, I think, to more success, the more you try. Yeah, so that so Paul mentioned there, you know, commercially aware advisors, do you, do you now also have to be, um, emotionally fluid where you can be slightly different you know it can be a slightly different um voice right. for different people so we sometimes should. they're going to need the tough love and the next guy person might need you know the soft approach to it is is that quite tough to well like you say you are a person so you have a personality is it quite tough to shift that during you know, these i try to keep my emotions natural like because i am uh, whatever protective of my clients like if yeah. you're to your point Fraser if the other side's acting in bad faith like I tend to start freaking out just internally <laughs> I try to be professional 
But I think like I sometimes lose more sleep maybe than my clients do just because it's like I know how bad the other side's behaving and yeah. and this could be their first transaction and they just think this is normal. Um, but um, I try to boil it down to words to express um, what I what I'm feeling and seeing to my client and. You know, if it's a client I have a strong relationship with, the client will say, you know, I see it too. I also am concerned, like, let's figure out how to work together to solve this. And that always helps, you know, because yeah. then you kind of build a team to deal with it. If the client thinks I'm being um, ir irrational or disagrees, that can be a lot harder. Um, but then you do have to, to your point, Frazier, adapt a little bit. And it's like, oh, like, I really think this deal should take four weeks. You know, the other side is saying one, that's really bad faith because we won't do be able to, but then my client says, no one, like, it's like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm not sure how fast a runner I can be, but I have to run as fast as I can, you know? And, and um, so it's hard. That can be really hard. And, and I do think the clients that, um, that listen to me, especially on pacing of a deal and on um, what to focus on end up happier and with less risk. <laughs> I guess that's kind of yeah. obvious, but, um, but, and they tend to be the ones that, come back and keep picking us. You know, the ones who are kind of rushing through don't need as much help. Sometimes I think of it as like a dinner. Like, do you want to rush through your dinner? Like, yes, McDonald's is faster, but like, you know, and cheaper, but you know, how, how do you feel after? I don't know. I'm, I mean, it's terrible metaphors, guys. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, McDonald's sometimes is the right meal selection, right? Absolutely. It, it definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I guess that, that sort of leads us on, you know, um, so what is the actual process for someone looking to sell a business uh, in the US? Yeah, um, you'll tell me if you think this is the same in, in Scotland, England, but um, in the US, um, the best first thing to do is to kind of make sure you're ready to sell your business. And I just mean like uh, plumbing, house cleaning, the whole thing, like, um, you know, because the minute you jump in without that, you know, any sophisticated buy side counsel is going to start to see, um, you know, chinks in the armor and that can start to impact deal value and it can start to impact timing and it can impact credibility and like all kinds of things can go wrong. So I love to tell my clients, okay, let's start from the top. Like, you know, are your formation paperwork's in order? Are your, are your shares documented? Like, do, have you given options? Um, you know, is your plan in place? Have you filed your tax? returns are you you know all through the checklist right and they and 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 like what where where are you in the trajectory of your company like you know if you're in the middle of a giant joint venture negotiation like that can be you know okay well what like what do we do first like do we try to multi, like um, dual track like you know we got to know where we are there's an, another really bad thing is if you're in the middle of the sale, sale process and you know, your lawyer didn't know something really big was happening. <laughs> he, find, he or she finds out like late in the game, right? Like, <laughs> oh, wait, we didn't tell you about we were being sued. Uh, no, like, that's really a problem, you know? So um, transparency and communication is key. Some like um, ramping up and like, and letting letting your um, lawyer do some buy, some sell side due diligence, right? To kind of like kick tires and make sure you're ready to go is a great, is a great first step. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, getting ready, getting prepared, and also understanding your exit. You know, if you're selling your business, know what your exit is going to look like uh, before you start the process, because that way you can help shape the deal structure uh, to make it, you know, more conducive to what you're going to look for at the end. Uh, so if you have your end in sight, you know, then then that's great. You know, but there's there's plenty of times when you've seen, uh, you know, during the deal. 
and the seller then you know they've already uh, they're already on the beach you know and, and mindset anyway you know they're already there and they haven't actually went through the whole process yet and uh, so it is interesting seeing that as well but I guess from a legal perspective I presume it's very similar you know NDA you know heads of terms uh, share purchase agreement all the way through uh, to getting that signed off it, I presume it's, it's similar or, or you know the same in, in the US. It is similar um, and I love working on um, cross-border deals because they start out looking similar but then all of a sudden you're reading something and you're thinking what is this talking about so it's easy to kind of get tripped up but um, one big difference at least in the UK versus US is that um, you you kind of publicly register your your ownership base and shareholder base in the UK and there's fees attached to that and in the US we don't do that we keep the records private and um, you know with the corporate secretary and there's still laws that govern how that works um, you know but but it's it's not a um, you know it's not like a public filing um, um, situation like it, it seems like in England like everything goes into this like deep depository that like you, you go search and try to find information and sometimes I hear that it's hard to find and like you know it's like we're just putting in there but we don't tend to ever go kind of look for it and it's interesting um in the U.S. we do publicly file our corporate charter of our companies so it's not like there's nothing out there and and different states require you to provide information about like who your executives are in some states but but you don't uh, the ownership uh, side is stays private so that that's kind of a big difference and it leads to some different um strategies and and deals for us lawyers probably versus uk lawyers because we we spend a lot of time with representations about the capitalization of the company and you know whether there's any oral agreements or written agreements to promise anyone anything and so that that can be a, a difference i don't know if this is happening in in, in england scotland I, I suspect it may be but there's more record um tracking and record ownership happening with blockchain and through software systems where the the different shareholders can look and identify who the other shareholders are and how much everyone owns and how much it's outstanding um so um you know there's the the, the those are some of the some of the areas that our people are focusing on when there's a deal happening. And, um, in in the U.S., we use an LLC structure often for smaller companies with fewer shareholders, and you know it, it's not even totally clear. You know, some of those companies use certificates to reflect ownership, and others just use a contract. And so um, that that's another kind of unique aspect to U.S. where um, you know. It, sometimes there is just like no certificate to hand even hand over, and I don't think that's as common over in in the UK. No, I think even the states uh, there are different uh, rules for different states within the US as well. From from what I gather, tax is one of the one of the key areas there, I believe as well. Um, yes. So it's it's really interesting to know um, you know di the differences like that um, between the the UK and the US and. Uh, of course, you know, one of the, the key things that we try to do is, uh, you know, where you've got a willing buyer, willing seller, 
and uh, and you know we we're comfortable with uh, with various risks we try to get things through as quickly as possible uh, obviously we do our own internal due diligence as well as uh, with our external advisors as well you know obviously i think you've you've, you've made it clear you know that, that you know you think that sometimes it's, it's not it's not a great idea to do uh, faster acquisitions but at the same time you know it's it's all about you know risk appetite and uh, you know, it's about um, you know what 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 do you what sort of uh, deal are you doing here? You're doing almost like a McDonald's deal where you you know you're rushing to the airport or something like that. You need you need that food immediately. You know, we'll do that. Or is it is it something that you can actually take more time over? You know, and like that you're you're enjoying a real uh, really nice meal at a, you know a, a higher establishment. Um, yeah. So the, these sort of things are, are 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 key to know when you're looking at each each deal. But I guess uh, you know what's what's your view on you know we we've coined the phrase sort of uh, fast acquisitions you know yeah. and how can that happen in the U.S. if if you've got willing buyer willing seller yeah you know and um, well we talked about kind of having that company ready to be sold so I, I certainly am more comfortable pushing the gas from a legal perspective one when I when our the diligence answers come across kind of crisp and clear they don't seem muddled that they, they don't seem um, vague. Um, so the uh, opening the lines of communication and uh, and and the you know the the data rooms and sharing, you know that th that helps. Um, and um, you know, I'm seeing sometimes I'm seeing companies kick certain issues to after closing, um, which I don't love. But my clients seem to think like, yes, this is complicated. Like, how are we going to structure you know our employees? bonuses after you know but let's worry about it after closing and it's kind of like well like you've got retention issues to consider you've got integration issues to consider you know um i like when you try to cover off um post closing potential issues before you pay all the money right and and buy the company and but more often i'm seeing like you know we have these big workforces we have i'm seeing bigger integration teams i'm seeing longer integration timelines and sometimes if you're like okay well we know we have eight months to integrate because we're going to have services transition or whatever they can then move faster on the deal and i don't know i actually think during COVID, i'm seeing more attention and given to to the deal process less like um oh it's on the side and you know the mh will handle and we're we're too busy because we're all in the office running around like when with people kind of fixed at home in their computers they can really have time to comb through data rooms and have time to talk through issues and and i think that's helped a lot i think that the buyers and sellers have been unsure of footing with one another um because there's just you know issues bubble up faster and higher up and you get more feedback from your general counsel or your CEO, uh, which is always helpful to the deal process. And so that that's been a positive and it's more just it becomes more efficient um, deal making. And, and that definitely makes things go faster, but it's not like rushed faster. It's just like, well, we got this done because we all were focused on it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. What, what's your thoughts, Fraser? Yeah, I think we saw I think we saw the other side probably earlier in the COVID um, situation where people were maybe still trying to kind of find their feet with homeworking. And obviously, you know, there was still a lot of emotion about, you know, COVID and what was going to happen. And um, we, we saw almost like an entire shutdown um, through, you know, whilst people set up in the office um, we we still experienced people taking um, you know, their full holidays and, and stuff like that, which for us as a business that's very, very active, felt a bit strange. Now, I understand people have to have a holiday still, um, 
but it felt a bit strange and, and really quite slow for a period. It's definitely ramping up now. Um, but I, I, I do think, I do agree that maybe we're, we're able to focus a bit more now if people are still in, you know, in the house and we are seeing a, a kind of speeding up of the process again, which is great. And I think, I think from the, the actual client side, the, the buy and sell side, there's probably more of a push to want to get these things done, maybe because there's been a bit of a frustration at things being a bit slow over the past you know, 19 or 20 months, whatever it's been now, um, that we all kind of want things to move and some kind of high profile um, news or uh, failures of businesses gets everyone a bit anxious and wanting to get things kind of signed and sealed a bit faster. Certainly what we're experiencing. Yeah, and markets are up, right? And valuations are up. So that's probably yeah. another reason that people. Yeah, there's a lot of cash moving around just now, which is great. So I think everyone wants to move whilst that cash is still there. And, um, you know, certainly the, the US market's been phenomenal for the past while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been I looking. Do... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I was looking at things like, you know, some of the the, the SPACs that have been done recently in the in the the, the tech uh, side, you know, fintech in particular, yeah, absolutely phenomenal um, that, that you're seeing that that level of of growth on on a mechanism that you know you thought you know was was kind of put to bed a while ago, and then now it's it seems to be the 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 mechanism of choice for some of these investments. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I that is, you know, it's it's taking on a life of its own a little. I mean, spats are interesting because to me, they're a convergence of like the private equity fund, the public markets and the M&A mm -hmm. team. And, and, and I think that they're, they can be useful. And I think that the economics are still kind of settling out a little bit on them. And, you know, a lot of U.S. public SPAC investors, you know, will jump out now before the closing of the DSPAC. And, um, you know, but it's certainly here. And I think it's probably here for a while. Um, yeah. And just because it's like a it's like a speed ramp onto the public markets, it's like hard yeah. to for for private companies to stay away from that. You know, they don't need the attention of a Wall Street um, uh, firm to get them underwritten and up on the market. So it's it's and it and those are complicated and take a lot of time. Like it's hard to do ten of those at once. I mean, you can, especially if you're on, you know, like. Um, fund fund side you start to get better at it but it, you know the, the, for these companies that are are selling into to the spec and then becoming public and are now brand new public companies and maybe some of them weren't weren't totally ready for that and didn't realize wow we need like more lawyers we need capital markets lawyers we need like you know wait we only have four days to report on an 8k like <laughs> we need audited financials so like that can be a just a bit a lot a lot of legal stuff yeah there. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's a it's a result of the kind of changing markets. It's, it's it's I think it's market dictated that people just want to move faster and faster and faster and faster. And you know these products or systems or or, ve or vessels or vehicles will just continue to adapt to be able to service that. People want to go quicker, and um, I think we'll see that continue. Are you seeing that, Paul, on like the private equity side? Like, are the are the timelines shortening up for how long? investors are willing to and e funds are willing to stay you know with a company before turning it and selling it again 
Yeah, I, I think we, we're, we're seeing a, a huge shift. And um, if a deal's to be done, a deal's to be done. So we, we're seeing it from, from our perspective, you know, that um, if there's any issues, you just get around the table. You know, all, 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 all parties involved, we, we iron them all out. And again, it's very much a solutions-based approach. And, you know, so, so personally, you know, we, we are seeing a, a huge shift from, um, you know, quite a laborious process to something that can be very quick. And of course, um, it, it really, it, it, if you've got a motivated um, and willing uh, buyer and you've got a motivated and willing seller, there's nothing stopping that process quickening up. The problem that you've got is, is where um, the, the, that perhaps the one party on one side is not as motivated as the other. And of course, it, it, it then becomes an issue. Um, but of course, we are seeing, you know, things getting done um, in, in a quicker um, in a quicker light. And I think that with that in mind, you know, and what, you know, I'd echo what Fraser's saying, you know, everyone's looking at different mechanisms for, for you know, quickening up the process. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons, you know, our CEO came out with, you know, the fast acquisitions, because, you know, it is, it is one of these, um, uh, one of these uh, topical areas where, you know, faster doesn't always mean to say better. However, if you've got the willing buyer, willing seller, and both are motivated and both sides are open and transparent through the process and they go through it like that, then of course that's completely good faith. Everyone um, you know, knows exactly where the other side is on on that. So it you know, it, it makes sense, you know, being able to have that that process done and, and quicken it up as well and have all of those commercially aware advisors on all sides, you know, aware of, you know, the time scales. Um but uh, you know certainly in our our um in our uh, you know experience it's it's been a been a great thing and, and great mechanism to have in, in having these sort of open and transparent conversations with the other side yeah i think scott with the with the regards to the private equity guys this kind of second third fourth fifth sixth uh, generation of you know, private equity holding of a company yeah. um, they know there's cash in the market just now as well as as everybody else and with the multiples getting up to the level they are that they're, they're able to sell them faster to get back what they need to get um so we do find yeah. that the business holding held by private equity tend to to move along um, multiple times just now faster than they used to because the original the original investor can get their cash out faster because of the multiples mm -hmm. You know, in the U.S., there's, and I think, I don't know if the same is in the U.K., but there's a law that says that the board of a company has to kind of canvas the market um, before it can sell, I mean, you know, on behalf of its shareholders. And 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 that'll be kind of interesting to watch because, like, how long, how quickly can you do that, right? If you if you do have that buying willing and buying seller and they want the fast acquisition and, you know, is the board still keeping its responsibility? Like, hey, okay, had we waited or had we looked or made one more phone call to one more you know, could we have gotten more money too? So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if any issues with that pop up as these deals speed up. Yeah, we we tend to we tend to buy privately held businesses rather than publicly listed. Um, so personally, I'm I'm not 100%. I'm I would imagine they do have to demonstrate that they've went to to market if they're publicly listed and to get the kind of best options out there. Mm -hmm. And so so that kind of leads us on uh, to. Um, have you got any learning lessons, hints and tips for people who are looking to sell, uh, Scott, um, in the US? Um, what, what's the what, what's your feel on that? 
Yeah, because well, I sit on the legal side, I always kind of marvel at my clients and how hard they work um, on the non-legal aspects and not even just the financial, but more the um, the like knowing the market as we were just talking about, the knowing when the business is ready, having the contacts um, and kind of, you know, because in the U.S., you know, um, you know, refer, referring and finding um, acquirers is, a, is somewhat of a regulated uh, uh, activity, uh, right? There's, you know, we have registered broker dealers and stuff like that. So, um, you know, a lot of the businesses who get sold kind of know their, um, their you know, who their targets are and, and or, you know, who, what would be a good vertical integration? What would be a good horizontal integration? And they they probably spend a lot of time on this before they you know pick up the phone and call their lawyer. But um, I'm always amazed by that. And 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 I guess you know I, I, I don't know what my tip is out of that. But 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 just um, I guess my tip to lawyers would be kind of understanding and respecting what your what your clients are kind of going through. Yeah. Um, and I and, and and I and I guess this is a tip. I mean, I the, I'm seeing more often my clients kind of picking up the phone and calling, you know, like potential targets. It's amazing, yep. you know. You, you know, I I respect the work of investment bankers, and I think it's very valuable. But certainly doing it on your own, if you're the buyer um, or the seller, um, saves time, right? And it takes a step out, right? You're yeah. not negotiating an agreement with a uh you know but at the same time is are you getting are you able to illustrate the value of your company are you able to put together a sophisticated presentation that you know it's not from like a third party and are you able to facilitate financial due diligence fast enough so so navigating those waters is 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 interesting um thing to look at and think about um I think another tip for the selling founder would be to think about is we talked about contacts and relationships so you know not only the context and relationships of target companies, but who is your trusted lawyer? You know, do you network with law firms and know their capabilities? And like, you know, do you like Manat? Like, are you in a city where Manat is and it's growing? And what are we good at? And and you know, who are your financial advisors? And not, you know, do you have do you have the executives in place you need? You know, do, you don't want to. I don't like when companies um, are going through the sale process and then we asked to see the org chart of executives and it's like oh head of hr vacant we're trying to hire you know like head of finance we're vacant it's like oh boy like why you know why is there so many you know because really you're buying people right when you do these things so i i think that that sometimes is a red flag and um communicate with your board i really think the board is so important is even as these deal timing speeds up you know yeah. um you know, having diversity on your board and having diverse views and opinions and um, backgrounds is it makes a company more valuable. You know that those independent directors, they come from a little bit different backgrounds that can, you know, help dimensionalize a company, I think is 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 a good thing to think about if you're a founder um, and patience. I mean, you know. Patience with the process of getting the stuff uploaded and the documents shared and finding them. Sometimes they don't, our founders are selling older companies and they don't want to like go look for records from many yeah. years. Those are very valuable for the buyer, right? Those records. Yeah. So, oh. it's, it's true enough. Uh, we, um, we very much appreciate when, you know, uh, you've, they've got excellent record keeping, that's for sure. Um, I um, just just on, on closing uh, then, uh, Scott, um, how can, can anyone who's looking to sell a business, you know, contact uh, Manit Phelps and Phillips? 
Yeah, so Manat Phelps and Phillips uh, is our, our website. If you want to learn about us is manat.com, M-A-N-A-T-T.com. Um, like I mentioned we have 11 offices. Uh, we have a legal and consulting practice and, and um, our site really is a great way to learn about our firm. It um, takes you right in and shows our financial services capabilities and our financial service group. It shows our healthcare capabilities, our biotech. My, my deal experience is on my own web bio, which can be found on the site. And, um, and of course, you know, always through United Capital and our friends over in uh, the UK. We, we love to network with you and, uh, you know, share client relationships and look forward to doing so in the future. Well, thanks very much, Scott and Fraser today. Very much appreciate both your times. Uh, and of course, I'm sure our listeners will too. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for episode 25 of the Selling Sessions. Thank you very much for joining us. For those who haven't listened to some of our other podcasts, if you pop over to wherever you choose to get your podcasts from and have a check through some of the other episodes, we've got a few great, great episodes with many excellent guests on there. Um, Thanks, as always, to our podcast sponsor, Affinity Business Centres, which is a modern business centre based in the heart of Dundee in Scotland. If you are in the market for new and great office space, check them out at affinitybusinesscentre.com.